Greetings, dear listener. I'm your host, Ian McKenzie. And it's hard to believe it was two months ago on the cusp of Imbolc that we gathered for the inaugural A Gathering of Stories, an event that brought together poets and storytellers and musicians from all over the world, exploring the theme of the soul of masculinity. And I can say that it was a magical time beyond any of my expectations and certainly seemed to the 700 or so people that attended the event. And I am back here on the uh, just post Beltane to have an announcement. One is to share that I've recorded a conversation with my co-host Samir where we chat a little bit about that event and again what it meant to us, um, what we were surprised by, um, the themes and how they connect to this moment. Um, as well as a little bit about what may be next. The other announcement I wish to offer is that the entire journey is available as a self-directed course on the Mythic Masculine Network. Now, this is a companion network to the podcast, which is really a place to explore mythopoetic wonderings and, and story and connection from all sorts of angles which is a really beautiful place that has grown over this past year, really as a response to people that were listening to the podcast and and really wanted to dive in deeper into the themes. And so I thought it fitting for those that wish to explore the journey uh, in sequence, uh, as well as to leave their reflections and comments uh, on each of the offerings from the likes of Pat McCabe and Bio Kamalafe, Jan Blake, Andreas Corneval, and many, many others who contributed to the Gathering of Stories weekend. And that now you can actually plug in and and share your comments and reflections within the course structure on the Mythic Masculine and have like an ongoing conversation actually with those who are going to discover the journey for the first time and those who may have already gone through the journey um, and want to do so again this time to see what other gems may have surfaced now as we move into the next season of the year. You can access the course by going to themythicmasculine.com slash network and choose a membership option that works for you. We have different tiers based on your financial means, really with the goal to make the network as accessible to as many people as possible. And so, without further ado, I am pleased to present my conversation with Samir Danji. Zamir. Thank you, Ian. It's good to have you back in the studio. Good to be back with you here, bro. So to begin, I'm really curious, uh, when I first brought this idea to you, uh, what did you understand I was inviting you to? I thought you were inviting me to a gathering online, kind of a a conference-style inquiry into exploring the theme of the soul of masculinity and you wanted people to be brought in in a way where it wasn't just only an intellectual exploration but we were through story and through song and through poetry and some soulful reflection coming into a space where um, emergence might happen where something um, might occur that we couldn't have premeditated Um, and that was part of what was interesting to me was that that, that that openness to something new emerging, a new insight, a new wonderment and curiosity might take place. So I was kind of like, let's do it. I'm there. 
I also recall you you made the offer of like, well, why don't I just stay home and and you know I could play my instrument from there and yeah, and I was kind of like, no, 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 you got to be there, you got to be there, and I think you were a bit like, well, wait, what, why? Because isn't it like a, a Zoom conference thing? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I was also keen to you know it was more like, hey, I'm going to be Ian's wingman in this thing, and then uh, in the process. I thought, well, if, you know, I can just offer my things because it's an online gathering, I could be anywhere. I don't need to be there together, you know, with you to do it. Um, Yeah, I had that thought. But clearly, the way in which that space was designed and the ability for us to interact and have the play between us and hold the space for 600 people around the world really showed me why we need to uh, be together and why a gathering such as this required us to approach it differently than just a, you know, a Zoom session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say even at the time, I didn't quite know that that's what I was asking. I just felt this instinct. I was like, no, 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 we got to be in the room. I just feel like there's certain, you know, there's a lot that can happen when you're in the room with someone that is just, you know, Zoom can do a lot. It can do a lot more than I thought now after this weekend that, you know, we'll probably get into a little bit later about and what was possible, uh, what what I witnessed was possible. But I can share a little bit about the origins for me yeah. about the event. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the seed of it was probably, I think, late fall when at this point I'd been doing the Mythic Masculine podcast for probably just over a year or just under a year. And again, maybe uh, both a longing for a, a space of coming together with these people that, you know, were all profound in their own right. Um, you know, what would be something approximal, you know, in a time when, you know, COVID means we still can't gather in many ways. And so I had this thought, I was like, well, what if um, what if we did something, you know, brought a number of them together over, over a weekend, or I actually thought of a day, you know, I was curious, I wasn't that ambitious at the beginning. And I thought, what if we just brought them together for a day um, and and invited them into a kind of curated journey, largely though circling around story. Now, this is this is a part that I feel like I could, just couldn't um, uh, deviate from because, you know, I've probably quoted this in the past, um, maybe even at the event. But my teacher Stephen Jenkinson has said that um, there's no argument in a story, and there's no story in an argument, and. For me, what the power of story then becomes is, you know, time when it, especially this topic, you know, masculinity, at a time when it's so polarizing that it's almost impossible to have a conversation online without it quickly devolving into people asserting their existing positions on things. That to to return to story, to bring forth story as a kind of prismatic approach to uncovering, inquiring, wondering, somehow seemed like the right medicine for the time, and so. With the stories, I was like, okay, well, you know, we need we need more than just story. We need some other ingredients, and so spoken word, you know, became um, an element, and then of course music. There was performers as well, and that's kind of all I knew, you know, from the outset. I was like, it's going to be something like that, and then when we put the word out to the presenters, and basically all of them said yes, uh, all of a sudden I was like, wow, you know, if we properly want to space this out, not just like one to the next to the next to the next, we need you know proper breaks and things. So I was like, quickly, it became two days in terms of the schedule. And I knew that it needed to have a kind of a, a level of, I don't know, professionalism or just, you know, place-based, um, a place to reside in, you know, uh, like a stage in this case. 
that you know i'm grateful came to resemble uh, uh, this vision of this of the mead hall kind of like an old mead hall which is actually somewhat of a nod to my time in the orphan wisdom school um and i knew for you i needed this uh so much of your medicine that i feel you bring which is this mystic on the mountain element this archetype that came you know of this of the poetry and the and the music and the yeah that that capacity to bring forth those in in any moment you know like to me like those elements were all swimming and I don't even think until the day before did either of us know exactly what we were stepping into. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that your what your inspiration was and that willingness to wonder. And one thing that we touched upon a few weeks before the gathering when we gathered at my place and we were talking about sort of some of the intentions behind it, I shared with you what one line of Stevens that really touched mine with the podcast that I listened that you'd done with him. Um, in a way uh, where two things happen. One is he kind of kind of poo-pooed a bit the whole men's work thing, which was which was quite funny, you know, and it was almost like the master talking to the student be like, you know what, like you think you know what you're getting into, but, you know, there's uh, there's a lot more to this than what you may think. Um, and the other one was his statement that masculinity um, could be a form of inquiry. Rather than something to inquire about. Rather than just something to inquire about. So what is masculinity as a form of inquiry? That's uh, I'm something I'm still wondering about. And that's a good wonderment, where when you wonder about it together, and you're still wondering about it, you know? Um, and, and one of the things that I felt was very, um, I guess, courageous, but I don't know for Stephen if you'd even define it courageous, he's just really being himself, uh, which is that this whole idea of men coming together to do men's work to explore masculinity is something like that you, you know, set aside a time to go out for a weekend and to do practices and groups and things together. But the real work is just being a man and embodying masculinity in your daily life, not as something that you need to, if you need to go outside of the world separately to find it and embody it, then, you know, how does it factor into, you know, your daily relationships? And, um, part of what you had articulated that I remember is you wanted to avoid some of the politicized, kind of genderized debates, questions, or explorations around this subject, which we could easily get caught into um, if we didn't take more of a wondering um, form of approach and not make it as we're doing men's work, quote unquote, right? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to offer too that, um, you know, in Steve's line in the interview that you're referring to that we did, I mean, I think he was making the case that, you know, in a in a culture that is intact, the the line between what is ceremony and what is like daily life is kind of blended. It feels like it seems to me, and so it's a kind of peculiar modern necessity in a way to like leave your daily life to go somewhere else, you know, to go through some transformational experience, uh, and then come back. And then, of course, the challenge is how do you live it when so much of your daily life actually conspires against those very maybe revelations or understandings that you have. And I think any, any kind of retreat or, you know, meditation retreat or yoga retreat, it's the same thing. You know, people go away to, to try to find that space innerly perhaps and come home and it's like, Oh, you know, now the amnesia of the culture at large is, is very convincing and it's hard to live it. And in regards to the question around how to approach this subject matter, again, I knew, I knew story seemed to be the right way because you're right online, you know, things quickly devolve. Um, and in some ways I feel, 
you know, into places that are just not helpful, um, especially because the, you know, the hashtag has been elevated or the tweet has been elevated to a kind of, you know, um, trying to like outwoke each other, you know, online seems to be the order of the day, which doesn't really leave much space, I think, for a lot of like regular people who are actually, you know, less, uh, don't understand all of the terminology that has been constructed largely on the left or on the far left. And also the kind of, even like ways of thinking about things are in some ways how de- decoupled from the kind of lived reality that actually so many people have, where maybe they don't have a problem saying, oh yeah, this is a man or this is a woman, for example. You know, like, and not to say that therefore that doesn't have some kind of consequence on people that say don't identify in this on that uh, binary, for example, it does. But there's a real problem I find when even like, quote, regular folk can't even have these conversations without getting essentially jumped on for not doing it right. And I, and I, a lot of conversations anecdotally with people that I uh, talk to, that's really the case. So like, I'm afraid to say anything online in, in the social media sphere for that very reactivity or that cancel culture or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I mean, if we don't have those spaces to gather and, and to wonder together, I really can't see us, you know, getting to the world that I think many of us want to reach. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's uh, exactly, I feel, in many ways what happened and why mythology um, is so powerful as a means of exploring what can otherwise become limited by definition when it's too strongly defined, um, when things become too black and white. And mythology is such a potent way to address the deeper wells of the psyche that is kind of wrestling with these things, you know. And I'm curious to know, you know, why did you choose some of the storytellers or myth-tellers that you chose for this mm-hmm. subject? Because you have quite a balance of both men and women in different cultures in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I'd say, too, it was somewhat of an intuitive process as well, you know, just a sense of like, ooh, you know, who would I want to gather together and wonder about these things? And just to give a flavor to the listener, and maybe he wasn't there, um, we had Pat McCabe, you know, incredible indigenous grandmother. Uh, we had Bio Okomalafe. Um, we had Tom Hirons, storyteller. We had Michael Mead, Jan Blake, a storyteller from, from the UK. Um, Bo Huntress, the musician. Murray Kyle, a musician from Australia. Spoken word artist, Deus Forte, Olenka, Torshenko. I mean, uh, Sharon Blackie as well, who's a, a storyteller from uh, the UK. Um, incredible. Like the, the level of, um, just the what everybody brought, you know, in a fashion that, again, for me, was it was really important that it wasn't a conference in the way that you could sort of pick and choose, you know, your your adventure, um, which a conference style often does that. You know, do you want to go to the talk on this or do you want to go to the talk on that? For me, it was really about going through something together, you know, that literally there was a kind of um, guided journey, you know, that we would approach together. And even how we worked into the breaks or even how you brought, you know, the music interludes or the embodiment. And I'll just say that the there was something about day the beginning of day two, you know, after the first day had been complete and we were really in it. And I really had this feeling of uh, what I feel when I'm in ceremony, when I'm in multi-day ceremony. There's a kind of like you're in liftoff of some kind, you know, like something's in motion. I think you can feel it. And and, and something's afoot in a way that is not quite, you know, you, you can't pin it down, but it's holding you aloft, you know, and in a way that I can only describe it as magic. You know, it's a kind of magic. And and that's why on the second day, I really felt as we walked in, I was like, oh, this is a ceremony. You know, it's not a conference. It's not a festival. Um, 
it's done a you know online zoom even even though that was the medium um but i really feel the way that we were able to pull it off with the support of the tech team stream of consciousness uh it really pushed the medium into territory that i didn't actually think was possible but based on the reactions from people that you know on the feed and the comments we got after was was really profoundly moving Absolutely. And one thing that the idea of ceremony evokes is this notion of a circle and invitation, right? There was an invitation and there was a sense of circle in terms of inquiry, which is very different towards a sort of a linear, I'm talking to you and you're talking to me dynamic, which is so pervasive in the, in the screen culture because it feels like it's oppositional by nature, right? And I go back to what you said about bringing in the storytellers. One thing that I thought was very powerful about having this subject explored through story was it, the stories that were told were not stories that were talking about masculinity, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there's this, initially you're going into the story and some part of you is like, oh, so what is this going to teach me like about masculinity? So this story is told to tell me this this lesson about being masculine or being male, but that didn't happen in any of the stories. Mm -hmm. There was a male character and a female character, and there were many other kinds of characters in the stories. And what was powerful is that you could draw out elements from that story that helped to reflect more deeply upon the inquiry within your own heart and mind and brought us into territories where we were more inquiring what does the action on the part of the male and female characters in this story teach us about how these energies show up and play out in life? And that becomes very interesting and instructive, which you can't do in a politicized debate, right? And I think that's a great reason why stories are a good way to explore this territory. Mm -hmm. I think it's been, it's a real modern, I think, tragedy in a way that often stories are looked to to be fundamentally prescriptive, mm-hmm. you know, like the moral of the story. And um, my understanding of an older, you know, sense of story is that, yeah, they're, they're kind of this like lively, um, alive, prismatic, um, quixotic, you know, quality that is like they, they change based on the teller and, and who's listening, you know, that it, the story, it's not just like trotting it out again, but it's it's in that moment it is part of the ritual that is unfolding, and so by not, by refusing to be prescriptive in a way, it actually allows for I think a much more dynamic mm, kind of responsiveness to yeah like what's useful now you know versus a kind of like can we distill the universal principles of what it means to be a man now you know again that it's a doomed project because nobody is going to fit into any universal, and yet patterns and how we actually relate to certain patterns. And how we um, maybe turn oppositional to them or not. You know, there's a beautiful, I think, kind of wondering that it surfaced at one point of, you know, when or how, how might a culture look to these polarities, if we call them, you know, masculine, feminine, um, as oppositional or as dancing? You know, like what, what has to happen in a culture where they understand that fundamentally, actually, is it a dance or is it a, is it a fight? You know, and sometimes maybe you can't differentiate. But sometimes it really is in, upon who is looking and how they conceive of these energies that will show you a lot about where the culture's current ability to hold these polarities is. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And for people who came to this 
gathering of stories. I can, I know for myself, when I've tried to tell people, well, this is what it was, it's sometimes a bit hard to do that because, you know, it's, you don't want to say, well, it was, we just got together storytellers and we told stories, um, which is something that happened, but it doesn't mean that's what it was. And it, be another thing to say, well, we had also some speakers and some poetry and some music that made it feel like it was kind of like a, you know, a conference slash a festival. Uh, but it was something that was a nexus, a meeting in between those things um, that made this so interesting an experience. I don't know what you explain to people when you say, this is what this was, this is what, what happened. I think maybe this is why it's even called a gathering of stories that, you know, when I really tried to conceive of it, I, I didn't know what to call it. And it seemed to just to be straight up to say, well, it's a gathering of stories, you know, and in some ways, yeah, that, that speaks a little bit to it. But in terms of what it was, I would probably, or I'm more likely to say to people now, it was a ceremony of stories, right? And, and some people may have different connotations or they will, what that means. But for me, that conveys that it was a, a a sort of a ritual which had an opening and a close, you know. It had a qualities of of the sacred, you know, of of spaciousness, of I mean, beauty and um, wondering, um, you know. Uh, so many, I mean, I mean, the surprises, uh, um, potency, you know, that all of these elements were showing up in a curated journey that we were going along with together. So that's the part two for me that I feel. You know, somebody's wondering now, like, wait, so, you know, what, what? And there is something about going through something together, even if it's with people, like you said, 600 people from all over the world. I do think that there was some quality of a kind of like, hey, we're in on something and it's happening now and it's unfolding now over these two days. Absolutely. There's this thirst for the mythical. The more that we live in a um, capitalistic, industrialized uh, mechanistic culture demythologized i would say too yeah it and, and it, it well it needs to demythologize in order to prevail right because things need to fit within defined boxes that in order to explain something we need to reduce it down to um simple elements that can be reproduced and understood rather than the rounded wavy wonderment of the actual organic process of life and this organicity is really the hallmark of nature and also mythic cultures where those lines blend and i was thinking about what i shared at the beginning of the gathering and how it actually ended up really playing out in the end and it was those four functions of mythology by joseph campbell and the first one is the mystical function which is to introduce us to the sense of mystery and awe and wonderment and how in a way Tom Hiron's story uh, really helped to play that role, right? And then the second, the cosmological, um, which helps us to understand or relate to the mystery, but in a sense of it actually having an underlying rhythm and order and form by which, you know, it expresses itself in life. And I felt that Tom Hiron's story, Pat McCabe's story, um, also helped to kind of explore and elucidate that. And then the sociological function, which 
how does a myth help orient us to how do we relate and function as a society, right? From marriage to birth to death. And um, Jan Blakes did. Uh, was it... Who was the other teller um, from Andreas? Jamaica? Oh, Jen, that's Jen that's Blake. That's Jen Blake and then Sharon Blackie. Yep. Yeah, hers very much did because there was the Grail story and then that was very interesting in terms of how that night culture and night order was also elucidating that in Parsifal's journey and then also how the 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 marriage aspect of it happening through Jan Blake. So it, it really touched upon that. Um, and then the psychological or pedagogical function, which is how does the myth inform our action today in the world? And I felt that through the, the dialogues that you were having with the storytellers after their stories and in between was always looking at, okay, well, what does that mean to us today? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- what, how might this refer to us today? And that st- kind of an inquiry that encompasses that range of the functions of mythology is helping to re-mythologize a culture, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's really helping us to do that. And, and that's something that is, is, is a gift. And someone needs to be there to kind of experience the potency of that. You know, I thanks for that, laying those four elements out again as well. Uh, you know, what, what I was wondering about when you're thinking, reflecting upon is, you know, in a demythologized time, or is that even possible for a culture to be demythologized as so much as to make its mythology invisible, which is more so actually what I'm thinking about now, which is, you know, you know you're in trouble if you're in a culture which doesn't think it's has mythology, like it's it's above it. Because that just means it's gone invisible and it's the water you're swimming in. And I could say that, yeah, the modern culture's um, sort of utter belief in its own progress, right? The myth or the mythology of progress um, is one such sort of invisible myth. Well, it's becoming more visible now, as of course we see the consequence and the destruction of the biosphere and all the rest. But I also think that um, that the that that function or that instinct or that human capacity. I don't think it can be extinguished in some sense. It can be, it, yeah, it can go underground. It can be invisible, but I think it's so much a part of who we are, as as storying beings, that I think we we do ourselves a great disservice and the world by not actually embracing it as the core of who we are. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Who is it that said we're not made of atoms but made of stories? Maybe like Wendell Berry or something. I'm not sure. I would, he would be an easy one to pin it on. I don't think it was, it was Wendell Berry, but it made me think about that. Like physically on a physical level, Mm. you know, our bodies perhaps are made of atoms, but the sense of who we are as a agent of action and consciousness in relationship with the world, Mm. we're made of stories, you know, we're made of stories. And so it was really wonderful to be in that space together and explore, you know, masculinity in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. I mean, for those listening now too that uh, weren't there, I mean, as luck would have it, you know, we've really uh, put effort into creating an online portal that you're able to experience sequentially the journey that everyone else went on um, through the videos that we created based on the event. So, And you're highlighting sequentially, right? Because, I mean, part of the, what we were discussing yeah. is that 
we would suggest people to go through it in the way of what unfolded rather than yeah. your typical just pick and choose. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we've done. Yeah. From the opening ceremony to the closing that you can actually experience it all, um, you know, walk yourself down the page with descriptions of each video. And, um, you know, I would even suggest uh, taking space or even doing it over a weekend, you know, like that was actually done um, to, to watch a piece and then let it have its way with you rather than maybe jump to the next one um, or journal about it or, you know, really let the stories work on you. Um, so that whole entire journey is available on a gathering of stories.com. And you can click the button. I think it says how to access or how to watch. And you'll see options there to to access. It's pay what you can, which the event itself was. In fact, a pay what you can event. We wanted to make it as accessible as possible. Um, and at the same time, know that, you know, there was pretty high level production costs because we really wanted to make something beautiful. Um, and so there's that option. And you can also pay it forward in that if there's others that you want to experience this journey and that maybe they themselves maybe don't don't know enough to know that they need this medicine, uh, you can click the uh, pay it forward and also fill out that info and then send them access to the journey. And that Once again, that is a gatheringofstories.com. I just thought it might be apropos to end with uh, a little poem, you know, Please. just to, to, to nod off, tilt our hat off to this, this gathering. And it was a, actually a poem that um, I picked up from Ian and um, I've been reflecting upon it recently as one of the, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal this, but we are a, a, we are brewing a, a new potential ceremony to explore, um, which is so much to do with what we've all undergone over the last year and a half in the midst of this. So, uh, but here's the poem by Pablo Neruda. Now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. For once, on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for a second, and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment, without rush, without engines. We would all be together, in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm whales, and the man gathering salt would not look at his hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, Perhaps a huge silence might interrupt this sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Now, I'll count up to 12, and you keep quiet, and I will go. Beautiful. The stories shall come again. So stay tuned. Once again, you are invited to experience the Gathering of Stories journey, either by heading to agatheringofstories.com and accessing the full experience there, or head over to themythicmasculine.com slash network and become a member to experience the journey as a self-directed course. 
and stay tuned for future updates on upcoming events.